The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, writer for Liberty City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, tough one on Sunday Night Football for the whole world to see. How have you managed the early part of your week? Uh, I kept busy. Uh, <laughs> I was not going to be idle and thinking about this game. Uh, that was very lucky for me, because if I didn't have a lot of things to think about, I probably would have obsessed over this a little bit more than normal. It is in one way, a very normal green Bay Chicago game, or in this case, a Chicago green Bay game. Uh, and we're all used to it. We've seen this movie a hundred times seems like, uh, but in other ways, it was a little abnormal and and worse than what we consider normal, which is still pretty bad as Bears fans. So, uh, yeah, I if I hadn't been busy, I probably would have been thinking about this more than I should have because it is bygone. It is not going to get fixed. We can certainly pull some things out of it. We'll do that tonight. But uh, I probably would have been obsessing about it. It was it was really not great in a lot of ways. Yeah, I've kind of used that analogy before about, you know, it's, hey, we've seen this movie before. We know how it ends. Like, I'm I'm, I'm sick of this. And I think people are like, well, stop watching the same movie. And I'll tell you what, those people must not be married, right? Because <laughs> I, you know that there are movies that your significant other loves that you are sick of. But you watch, you know, because it's the holidays or it's whatever it is, right? Uh, it's kind of like this. Like, you know, you, you're in this relationship. And you're going to have to stick with it. And you're going to have to watch this movie, at least until the characters change. It is what it is. It sucks. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some aspects of this that we think you can take away. Some might be good. Some might be not so good. We're not promising all, uh, you know, gumdrops and rainbows. Oh, yeah. Dogs and ice not cream. rose-colored glasses tonight. This is going to uh, be, a, this is going to, there's going to be some lumps here. But I think it'll be a pretty interesting show. Uh Want to start off, those of you that can see us on YouTube, we are donning some pretty cool t-shirts from Homage. We've got an affiliate link in our YouTube page and, uh, you know, check them out. I think they've got like pretty interesting and different Chicago Bears stuff that you don't see elsewhere and uh, very nice and comfy shirts. Thank you to Homage for that. I love the orange shirt uh, big time. Those of you that are listening to us, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but uh, it is uh, it is well worth uh, checking Homage out. So thank you for those t-shirts. 
Um, you had a tweet that you wanted to highlight from from our from our friend uh, Brendan, um, who I think he pronounces it uh, Sergey. Uh, yeah. But but you uh, you highlight this tweet for us. Yeah, he Brendan put out this tweet and it says, this is your friendly reminder that the Bears and Packers have played a primetime game in every season since 2006. And a lot of um, folks who are fans of teams with uh, smaller fan bases, uh, certainly smaller footprints in the NFL universe are like, what do you mean you've had a primetime game against the same team every year since 2006? That's this rivalry. The NFL will always do this because Chicago, third largest market in the country, uh, they're going to do this. All but four of those games have taken place at Lambeau Field. And then he said, the schedule makers really suck. And, you know, it Lambeau is, is the, I don't want to say, I'll say equally historic venue, but certainly the one that's had more success of late. And Chicago is the draw, even as the punching bag. And they will put these two together and they will put them in primetime slots, regardless of the fact uh, that the game might not be a quality contest. Uh, it certainly hasn't been for the majority of the last couple of decades, but they will continue to do it. And people say, stop doing this I'm here to tell you, folks, the NFL is not going to stop doing this. This this game makes money no matter what. As much as we suffer, that's that's not their interest. And it will draw eyeballs and they will continue to do this. Um until there are major changes. So uh, you might not like it. I don't like it. A lot of Bears fans don't like it. Doesn't matter. NFL is going to keep doing it. They don't care about your feelings. But you know what else? When people don't care about your feelings, you know who does? Those bottles of boost. No, I'm just kidding. That's a terrible <laughs> message. That is not uh, why we do this. Um, no, we do it is not. Having a drink and having a conversation. That's the spirit of this uh, particular podcast. And so... Generally, in the past, when there's been a tough game, we have made it Bears over Bourbon uh, to kind of mix it up a little bit because sometimes you just need something a little bit stronger. And so this week, uh, I've got a bottle that's open and I've been working on it for a while and it's pretty close oh, to, to gone. This is the Four Roses Small Batch Select. Not a sponsor, but could be if you wanted to reach out to us, Four Roses. We like your stuff. We uh, love that. It's been a nice little bottle, um, pretty drinkable stuff. Uh, it is uh, uh, 104 proof, so nothing to blow you away too much, but really enjoy it. And I'm using my uh, Prohibition shot glass. Goodbye, Mr. Booze. So that's what I got going on tonight. What do you got going? Look at you. I didn't have any bourbon um, that I really wanted. I had some bourbon that would probably burn my throat a little bit that I bought a long time ago just to see what it was like. But the good bourbon... Uh, that I really like, which is called Ghost Owl, and it's made um, by a distillery in the Pacific Northwest. They sell it at Trader Joe's, at least in the Northwest. Don't know if you can get it where you are, but if you can, highly recommend it as a sipper. It is a um, batch blended bourbon, and then they add some corn mash at the end to make it even sort of more accessible. Great sipping bourbon, but I was out of that. So I went with Irish uh, as is my typical uh threw an ice cube in a shot glass and poured some kilbrin um sherry cask finish um okay. which is pretty nice stuff i i think it's hard to screw up just about anything you pour into a sherry cask it gives it a very nice round um warm flavor that, that it's distinctive but i i've i've yet to run into a sherry cask finish that i'm like oh that made it worse um it's always good stuff so that's mine i'm gonna start with that and then did you bring a beer to back it up or are you just drinking bourbon i uh, just 
I'm All a right. simple man, EJ. You're a simple man. Well, I brought uh, Elliott Bay Brewing. I had their Baja Lager last week. Uh, this is their Pilsner, which is a straight-up Pilsner. Good thing to follow a shot of whiskey with, so I'll be drinking that as my beer. But, uh, yeah, we should we should get into this whiskey. Well, cheers, and, you know, the, at least the, the Green Bay game is done. The, the yeah. one in Lambeau. Right. We don't have two more. We have one more. All right. So, new this year for us is that we are going to be breaking down the all 22 film of one player, one aspect of the game. I kind of changed my own rules this week. And the reason why we want to do this is that this year is not necessarily about wins and losses. This year is about really figuring out who the building blocks are for this franchise going forward, who are going to be the players that are going to be counted on in 2023, 24 and beyond. And so there's a lot of young guys on this team. There's a lot of evaluations that need to happen. If you, you know, if you do the homework throughout the year, it makes that evaluation a lot easier at the end of the year. So we figure we'll just focus on one guy every week. That's 17 ball games, 34 evaluations that we'll have at the end of the year. We'll repeat players. Uh, there may be some times where we both go on to, to one uh, player for a game, uh, particularly someone like Justin Fields. I think that would probably be a pretty smart thing to do if if we both try to attack the quarterback position in the same week. But generally, the idea is like, let's just get some eyeballs on the on these players. You know, we'll try not to focus on games where they were particularly bad or particularly good necessarily. I would like to maybe try to focus on guys that are good. So we bring a little bit of shine to the show. Uh, but but that's that's the general idea of what we're what we're aiming for this year. Um, this week, I am go. I, I decided to focus on David Montgomery. And the reason why was pretty obvious was that he had a really good game. But I wanted to see how much of that was him. And how much of that was the blocking scheme and how that was coming along and what did that running game look like? And I wanted to kind of try to see if I could break that apart a little bit. And uh, we'll get into that in a little bit when, when we go through my my stuff. Um, but the, the other question with that is that a lot of people want to see Dave Montgomery signed to an extension. A lot of people want to see the Bears let him leave and just draft young running backs and never give a never give a running back a second contract. And so I think it's it's important to try to evaluate David Montgomery to say, you know, is this guy going to deliver on a value on the deliver value on a second contract or even try to exceed the value of a second running back contract, which is pretty tough to do. And, you know, what does he bring to this team in terms of leadership and morale? And, you know, what is he, what is he to these offense? So I thought it was worthy of, of looking at that and not only that, but how is he fitting into this new offense and this new run scheme? So who did you pick for this week? Well, before that, I have to thank you uh, for doing that because I won money. <laughs> Okay. I told Brett when that game was over, I said, Hmm, we both have to pick somebody out of that hayfire. Like I said, I bet JB is going to pick Montgomery because it's palatable, right? Because it's something he can watch again without wanting to gouge his eyebrows out. Like, and, uh, Brett was like, all right. And then you sent me the text that said, I'm picking Montgomery. It was like Monday. We were both sitting at the airport. He was stuck on a plane on the tarmac and I was delayed in the terminal. I sent one to him, said, told you. And he was like, no way. I said, no, nope, I, I know my podcast partner. I know what he's doing. So uh, I appreciate that. My pick for this week was another player that also has a conversation around him in terms of should he be featured going forward? Where is his role? Where is he at? Uh, and that's Cole Komet, the tight end. 
Um, bit of a star-crossed pick. Uh, we certainly had our opinions about the Cole Komet pick at the time. But in terms of Cole Komet, the football player, uh, you know, there's a question about what is, right? Regardless, he was picked a couple of years ago. That doesn't matter anymore. That's a sunk cost. Where is he in his development, in the mesh with this new offense, Getsy's offense? Um, is he effective? Who is he like? Who is he as a player? And I think that's a really interesting conversation. Um, there was a lot of people, including yourself, who saw him at camp and and everybody who saw him in the preseason who said, this is basically going to be wide receiver two for this Bears team. He's going to be featured. He's going to be prolific. You know, pick up Cole Komet. He's going to be a sleeper. And it certainly looked like that in the preseason. Another classic case of preseason and regular season not looking anything alike. We'll talk about what he's done so far. Um, but I just wanted to give a really good picture of a player that people have wildly differing opinions about and take a one-game snapshot and say, what do we get? What did he bring? What's real? What's not? And we can go from there. Awesome. So let's uh, flip a coin. We decided we're going to incorporate the most exciting part of, uh, you know, pregame, which is the coin toss. So I'm bringing on a quarter for the coin toss that EJ will call while it's in the air. It is the 2020 Kansas uh, National Parks tall grass prairie quarter. And for mm -hmm. those of you that really want to know the details, that's, that's right we're here. So uh, call it tails. It is heads. So I win once again. I'm I am over two. two. We got to we got to keep track of this. I'm over two. Yeah, so somebody will keep track uh, for us. So um, I deferred last week. So actually this week, given what I believe is going to happen in this show, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to choose to go first. So it's good. Uh, so let's let's talk about David Montgomery. So I think that we we're all familiar with David Montgomery. I don't need to go into specifics on on where he came from. I went back and I I, I watched and and mapped out. You just uh, don't want to say it. Well, he went to Iowa State University. Okay. Uh, so, so there you go. Um, you know, I have to, I'm forced to cheer for a cyclone, which is rough, but it is what it is. I mapped out all 15 of his runs uh, by hand with the blocking schemes and to just try to get a sense of what was happening because I wanted to see, were they running one thing over and over? What, you know, what were, what were they doing? And so just to kind of give some like big picture pieces of this run game, um, the personnel groupings that they use. So this is the number of tight ends and running backs and wide receivers on the field. Uh, so 11 personnel, which is one running back and one tight end. They ran uh, five of those um, runs from Montgomery had that personnel grouping on the field. Uh, so there's three wide receivers on in that personnel grouping. They ran out of 12 personnel three times, which is one running back and two tight ends. And then they ran out of 21 personnel, which is two running backs and one tight end. So that's the, the fullback blasting game who's in there for that for those. Um, you know, some of them look a little odd. They're not traditional like eye formation or eye offset formation when you see those. But when blasting game kind of starts off stacked behind a tackle and then comes into motion, that's still considered 21 personnel because he's behind the line of scrimmage. He's, he's not a tight end. He's not, he's not on the outside of the tackle or anything like that. He's still within the tackle box and behind the line of scrimmage. So that's still considered a running back and that's still considered 21 personnel. For those of you that uh, I, I assume my numbers are correct because I did them by hand, but if they're, if they're different elsewhere, that's how I came to them. Um, that's how I know how to do it. You know, these are just my numbers. I'm not, I didn't cross check them with any other, any other source because so, so if my point of saying this is if you go, <laughs> what is your point, Jamie? If you, I if you see know. different numbers, yeah. then, you know, I, I don't have any ego in this. I, I'm, I'm sure I could be wrong, but that's how Feel I'm free to argue. 
and and they can argue with me, but that's what I saw. And and I'll get into a little bit of of a different number that I have that I'm not sure how I got a different number, but that's okay. So uh, overall, I think the scheme was varied, which is great to see. There wasn't like one play that they were hammering. There was a bunch of different stuff. There was a lot of there was some window dressing here. There was some straight, you know, uh, kind of straight at you runs. Uh, you know, some power, a lot of zone, right? Like I mean, there was a really good mix. Um, there's a couple plays that I really liked, uh, particularly that I hope that they show up again and uh, mm-hmm. want to go through some of those. But I, I think that in general, I would say that for the most part, Montgomery did a lot of the work on his own, even though there was a lot of really nice there, there were some nice plays that were blocked. Well, there were but so much of his production, I think, came after he made a guy miss. Um, or, you know, dragging a guy a couple additional yards, which I think was just really impressive. So just overall, I, I just want to say that. I want to get into some specific play. So EJ, at any point, stop me and, you know, ask me questions, you know, feel feel free to do so. Well, I'll just say in terms of the way you saw that, it's it's cool to have the personnel breakdown and let people understand how that works and and how we count that. And, and I'm sure you'll get into how that influences the particular run. What's more interesting and what I think is absolutely spot on and what I saw even watching live, which is a whole different experience with the TV angle and everything else, but even live on Sunday night, you could tell that what Montgomery was doing on his own was special, right? This wasn't like big wide alleys that he was just blowing through and, you know, picking up 15 yards before contact and then dragging a guy. No, he was breaking tackles. He was making guys miss, which he was famous for in college. He had one of the highest broken or missed tackle, forced missed tackle rates is what they call it in college um, when he was drafted. And you could see that come into play. And he is a special runner. I'm sure he'll get into that for doing that, for that, for combining those two abilities, making people miss and running through tackles. And he was doing a lot of that and creating a lot of his own production. So I think you're spot on in like that observation of like, yeah, there was some variance in the run game, which is cool. There was some good blocking. There was some bad, bad blocking. We'll talk about that. But he was he was doing the lion's share of this on his own, and he he had some good ones. He had some classics in this game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna actually just go through all the plays. Um, I think I can do it pretty briskly, um, and I'll stop and highlight a couple of things. So in Almost all of these plays, there was pretty standard box counts. So box count is, you know, how many guys are, are essentially within kind of the outside shoulder of the tackle or the, the, the tight end on the end of the, uh, of the Bears line of scrimmage, and then kind of draw that back to where those linebackers are. Uh, for the most part, I counted seven in the box almost every single time. There was a couple of times that Amos came down. Um, you can count an eighth man and there was one time where it looked like a light box of six. So that's, that's what I was, that's what I saw. I'll, I'll, I'll note a lighter box or a heavier box when, when appropriate. So first play four yard gain, this is, you know, first quarter ball on the own 20, 29 yard line, sticks his head down, pulls forward, gets, you know, get, gets some nice yardage, but nothing, nothing unexpected there. Standard run, no big deal. Four yards, no big deal. And then Montgomery starts to just, take over <laughs> second run he uh uh bears on 33 he starts right bounces left forces a missed tackle 12 yard gain seven of it was because of his his force missed tackle i'm giving him like plus seven um in terms of what he was able to do on that one his third carry he 
this is a light box. So this was only, I only counted six in the box here. And this is 21 personnel. So he had the full back in 13 yard gain. But on that 13 yards, I'm, I'm giving him um, credit for an additional eight on his own. And he forced two missed tackles on this play. <laughs> so, so these are, these are very close to one another. And he's, he's already uh, forced three missed tackles by my count. Next play, he forces a missed tackle on Kenny Clark. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a nice little play. The wide receiver actually kicks out. And this is uh, one of the first times I saw Cody Whitehair pull and uh, Cody Whitehair was pulling a lot um, in this game and did a very nice job on, on this, uh, on, on this particular block. So um, I'm giving this, uh, this was uh, counted for nine yards and I'm giving all nine to Montgomery's additional effort because it, it should have been stopped by Kenny Clark uh, for a no gain. Um, but he was able to, to bounce off Kenny Clark and, and, and make a positive, not only positive yardage, but a, but a pretty nice run of nine. Uh, a little later, um, the the Bears fake a jet sweep sweep action and pitch it out to Montgomery, and both Mustafer and Borum get absolutely whipped in this one. Um, <laughs> this was I liked the design because it kind of played with eyes, and you actually saw the linebackers move how they wanted them to. Um, that. I, I think that if this was blocked up, well, you can say this a lot of times when you're watching run game. Boy, <laughs> if this is locked, you know, blocked up, boom, you, you hit that hole and it's Katie bar the door as my, you know, football coach used to say, which I never don't really understand what Katie bar the door means, but he always used to say that when he was critiquing our, uh, our run blocking. But in this particular case, it was very clear that there, there could have been some good yardage had. Um, but again, both Mustafer and Borum get absolutely whipped here. Montgomery has no chance. It is uh, a five-yard loss, um, and, and he's he's taken out immediately. There's nothing he can do there. Um, so that's that's actually the first half. So you know he he was rolling <laughs> pretty well uh, when when he was given an opportunity, uh, but but just didn't get that many carries. So we go to the third quarter. First carry in that quarter, um, he forces a tackle in that one. That's a nine-yard gain, and I have him down for six of those yards being uh, because of his force tackle effort, force miss tackle effort. Uh, then I think there's actually some pretty good blocking. He, uh, he, he runs the ball for 11 yards on the next play. This is around midfield. The bears on their own 40 gets an 11 yard gain. Um, I'm only giving him credit for one additional yard just because he's runs hard and kind of falls forward. But this is the, this is one run play that I really liked. I hope they run a little more. This is where they had both guards pull. So uh, Jenkins and Whitehair are pulling to the right. And so Borum fills on a down block uh, for, for Jenkins, and then Jenkins kicks out the end man. So you give the tackle Borum an angle block, which is easier than trying to say reach a guy or something like that. So, so he comes down on an angle block, and he's able to make that block success, successfully. Jenkins pulls to the right, and he's able to kick the man out, uh, kick the end man in the line of scrimmage out, the Emolos, if you will, um, because his block is, is easier with the pull action. So you're creating angles. So I really like that. And then Whitehair is coming around the backside there uh, on his pull, the second pull, and then he's turning up. So he would take any, anything that washes in front of him, but there wasn't anything to wash in front of him. So he's able to turn up and get a linebacker. It's a really nice play design. I really like it. Um, 
this was my favorite part of football was as a pulling guard. This is what I really liked. Because <laughs> uh, you so, got to wipe people out. Yeah, you, you just you get momentum, you're bigger than people, and you just you can you just you hit them at the right angle. It really puts the guards in an advantageous position and you can get some wow plays. I think Jenkins is gonna really like these. And so hopefully <laughs> we see more of Jenkins on the pulls. So I'm giving the scheme this the, the most of this credit. It's an 11 yard gain. Again, I'm giving uh, Montgomery a, a credit of one additional yard here. Uh, next run, Jenkins gets beat uh, by Kenny Clark. Pretty bad. Um, should have been a should have been dropped for a loss of one on the play or so. But Montgomery does a nice job to um, to get back to the line of scrimmage. I will say. Uh, Jenkins got away with a hold. It's at the point of attack. He's, yeah. he, he's, he's stretching, you know, it's coming off. Um, that's a really good player in Kenny Clark. Normally they call that. That's like a nine out of 10 call. And somehow that was the 10th one. So when we're talking about how many calls Green Bay got away with, which they did, um, there are a couple when you, when you dive into the film that. Uh, this is, this is foreshadowing because we're going to talk about this when I get to my section, because one of the biggest runs that you're going to get to that uh, Montgomery had uh, also had uh, one of the few penalties that went Chicago's way, as opposed to the other. Uh, his la uh, Montgomery's last carry in the third quarter, nothing too exciting. It's a six yard run. I'm giving him credit for an additional two there. Uh, again, this is more of a got what was blocked, but was able because he runs hard to kind of full, uh, fall forward and, and get those extra, that extra yardage. Uh, first carry of the fourth quarter and 11, 11 yard gain. Again, anything over 10 yards is, is really impressive. Um, that's, it, it kind of depends on who you subscribe to in terms of explosive plays. A lot of people will believe that a 10 yard run is an explosive play. It's a first down, even if it's on a first down the 10. So um, anything that's 10 or over is, is pretty impressive, but 11 right. yards here, this was a, uh, a pitch to the left. Um, I would say that it was really well blocked. The first contact on this run was at five yards. And then he just drags dudes for another six yards. Like it's not like he juked and made a guy miss. He just drags dudes for six yards. So that's what happens when you make those first level blocks with Montgomery is that he gets to the second level or he gets, uh, he gets to the corners and he can just power through them. That's the impressive thing about this guy. So the, uh, I'm giving him credit for a plus six here because he just absolutely dragged dudes. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to try something. Hang tight. Okay. I am going to see if, Oh, you want me to share this? Yeah, go ahead and give that a shot. Perfect. Excellent. Uh, so I made a slide because I'm just wholly impressed with JB's informational organizational sense. And he literally charted all this stuff out. Time, where the ball was, how many players were in the box, how many plus yards Montgomery got that he's talking about that Montgomery kind of earned on his own and then, and then notes. Um, so uh, this is where <laughs> JB's scientist brain works way better than mine. Cause my notes just spoiler alert, don't look like that. Um, but you can talk people through this and, you know, continue into the fourth quarter. It'll just give them something to look at while we're doing this because it, you know, it's amazing. It's great. Yeah, and well, I appreciate that. And and now that you have it up, um, I notice that there's an error. So don't. Uh, of course. Uh, actually, what it is, and I actually know what it is, that uh, the second quarter run is a negative five. 
Um, but I was oh. doing something. So it's, there's 122 yards total for this game. So Got on the it. sheet that people can see, for those of you listening to the podcast, so the sheet that people can see, it says 132, um, but it's actually 122. But I was playing with this to make a visual. And so I needed to make the five a positive number so that that would actually that's show right. up in the visual that I was creating. But I'll that's okay. forgive I didn't you. Know that, I didn't know EJ was going to do this. But yes, EJ surprised you. And people will love this because they can follow along with all this great information that you've compiled which to me is a really succinct way of saying what happened on a run in multiple ways that matter. Like these are all things that matter. Was it a stack box? You know, how many yards did he make on his own versus how many were quote unquote, just blocked up. You know, when we talked about got what's blocked, which we say pretty often, and that's a real thing that's, you know, he added zero or maybe one to two yards falling forward. That's fine. If somebody's got, plus yards of 10 or 26 like this is where the running backs earning their money because something that most folks don't realize is that running backs are paid to make one guy miss in terms of a scheme the scheme is blocked so that there's one guy the running back has to take care of and if the running back can make that one guy miss that's where they earn their money so when they're making that guy miss and they're picking up six 10 26 like those are huge plus runs that are on the running back not on the scheme necessarily or the line yeah absolutely so one of the things that that last runs very uh noteworthy is that there there was eight man in the box that's that's what i saw there and those of you that again can see the screen you might see seven plus one or six plus one that's where i think there's a it's a judgment call where this was generally amos that was walking down into the box and I just designated that as a plus one because it's it's close. You could you could say it's eight, you could say it's seven. Um, so it's it's kind of a judgment call. But that's how I designate that. Again, it's my notes. People people are going to do this a little differently, but that's how I see the game. So uh, the next two I think are are you know really really impressive. I mean, I'm already pretty impressed with his day by here by, by now. <laughs> um, but the the next run again, this is fourth quarter. Uh, this is a 14 yard run. Uh, but he breaks a tackle about four yards deep and gets an additional 10. And after this one that was a little different is once he broke that tackle, he really showed that he got into another gear. And so I noted that like he really showed good explosion. It's just fun to watch a running back just take it to that next gear sometimes. And Montgomery's not necessarily known for that. And so I thought that was a noteworthy moment for him because he sort of stopped, uh, slows down to try to negotiate that first tackler. And then when he's able to break that tackle, he, he takes off and, and kind of kicks it into another gear, which I thought was really impressive. Um, from the big one from the own 25, this is the one that I, you know, EJ, you're going to talk about it too, but this is, I'm, I'm so glad that there wasn't a flag on this play because <laughs> this is, this is, I think the best run of Montgomery's career. And if there's a better Ooh. one, you, somebody tell me what it is. Um, but I, I counted four broken tackles. He hurdles a guy about two yards into the play, uh, about two yards beyond the line of scrimmage, just, just sort of jumps. It's a, it's a very subtle jump. If someone goes, goes for his legs coming at him from the right, and he hurdles him just, I mean, it's not like a hurdles over the top, you know, showy thing, but it is just like this jump over this guy that's diving for him already pretty impressive. And then at six yards, he just breaks a tackle. This, you know, force missed tackles, what he's known for. He breaks a tackle at six yards. Absolutely should have been done at six yards. The, 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 the first miss is really impressive. It's really athletic. The second one is just a, a pure broken tackle. 
Um, he jukes a guy 12 yards in, like he sets him up. So, so you know, I, I didn't write down the number, but sets up the, the safety or the corner and, and goes, you know, jukes one way and then jukes back. Right. So beautiful juke. Um, that's at 12 yards again. So now we're, now we're off to the races. Now he's cutting back, uh, across the field. And, uh, I believe this is, uh, uh, this is savage at this point, right? This is 21. So he he's he's got an opportunity to bring him down and Montgomery does a little arm swat to 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 swat uh his hands away and then cuts back you know has the football in the right hand swats with the left and then cuts back across uh that player and then heads down for the last guy that's in the position to make the tackle and gains an additional 2 yards for that last tackler i i mean i i want to like bottle this up and I want to drink this when I feel sad. Like this is the <laughs> kind of run that you see on Walter Payton's career highlights. And if, and I'm that is the highest level of compliment I can get. If you watch Walter Payton's career highlights, they are full of amazing, amazing runs where he's doing stuff, where he's breaking multiple tackles, where he's, you know, they're not all touchdown runs. They're not this like, Oh, he had this huge, you know, opening and he, you know, he was just faster than everybody. He just ran by everybody for 80 yards. No, Walter Payton highlight runs are this, all of these moves. Like it's like you're mashing buttons and Madden, right? Like you're, you're, you're a spin move. Oh, it's a juke. Oh, it's a stiff arm, right? He pulled out multiple running back moves on this and they were all successful. 28 yard gain. And he had four broken tackles. Like it is tremendous. And so I gave him credit for 26 extra yards on that play. I, I mean, can we just bask in the glory, uh, the beauty of that particular play before we move on? We can until I talk about it. So bask all you want right now. Uh, it was a beautiful run. And the bottom line is football is not a perfectly called game. Neither is baseball. Neither is anything else. Anything with a human element is not a perfectly called game. And, and we certainly saw calls, many that went against the bears. Unfortunately, this run as beautiful as it is, has a call that goes for the bears early on. I'll highlight it, but it doesn't take away from my, what Montgomery was able to do because as you said, when we're scouting running backs, we look at physical characteristics. We look at things like burst and ability to break tackles. Uh, we call it contact balance. Um, we look at all of these things that running backs have. And one of the most desirable characteristics for me, and I'm a running back junkie for running backs is the ability to string them together. Like if you've got burst and you've got hesitation, you got juke, you got ability to twist your hips, you got ability to break a tackle, you got ability to stiff arm. If you can string three or four of those things together in sequence at the right time, it's incredibly rare. There are running backs with all those skills. Lots of them have one or two or three or four of those skills. Very few of them have the ability to string runs together and use like you said, the button mash and Madden at the right time, at the right juncture to, to get a run like this, to get out to 24, 26 yards. That's a big run in the modern NFL. And the fact that he was able to do all of those things within one is to be celebrated. This is not an anti-Montgomery rant. Like, this is a pro-Montgomery rant. Um, he did benefit from a play that I'll talk about um, when I talk about Cole Komet. 
but this is a superior run and the bottom line is it's a human game it didn't get called and it counts it didn't come back there's no laundry on this play it stays on the field the bears get the benefit um that wouldn't have happened most of that wouldn't have happened without montgomery so i'm just gonna say the last three carries there's nothing interesting about them to be honest with you the totals three carries eight yards um you know he one he just sort of bounced off the first tackler and fell forward nothing nothing that interesting and the next two honestly were non-factors because somebody got beat um there was a shotgun run it was the only shotgun run that i saw uh commit is supposed to pull in front of the run and, and and take out a blocker and commit is late to the party and uh montgomery gets blown up he actually does a nice job of of getting positive yardage but it's uh the, the play if if commit makes that block he's at least able to probably get five or six um but yeah you know um and then uh uh the last run lucas patrick gets beat again monty falls forward he's always fallen forward it's just something that you notice with him um it's a really good characteristic in a running back it's very rare that he gets stood up uh, and he's just always leg driving and, and he's getting those hidden yards are really impressive with montgomery when you just watch his runs so overall in the day 15 carries 122 yards and then i gave him credit for 81 of those 122 yards on his own uh, because him him making those yards for himself uh, with the the second efforts and the um the force missed tackles i counted 10 force missed tackles pff had i believe eight i had brad look this uh brad spielberg looked this up for me earlier and i talked about it on uh Baron <laughs> did you reach out to brad today no, I bring up. Well, I reached out to him on Monday before. Oh, okay, show. I reached out to him today, so I was like, he was getting pinged from all angles. We, yeah, uh, Brad's well, a friend I, of the show. He's a Bears fan. He works for PFF, and he's an amazing guy. Shout out to Brad. Uh, but I reached out to him for a commit stat today, so I just thought that was funny. Yeah, I reached out to him around one o'clock on Monday, and I said, "Hey, man, <laughs> any chance? Any chance you can give me this number?" And yeah. then he's like, he actually created a tweet right after I sent that to him. Uh, Cause he looked it up and I was like, yeah, yeah, this is probably pretty interesting. And then he sent me his tweet and I was like, all right, cool. So yeah, uh, they gave Montgomery eight. I had 10 again. That's, that's fine. There's going to be sure. some interpretation there of like, well, it's not really a broken tackle or not a forced missed tackle. That's just, you know, um, you know, he was getting blocked at the same time. That may, may have been at least one of them where to me, it looked like a forced missed tackle, but the guy was engaged in another block. So that, that may be one of them. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Eight to 10 forced missed tackles overall. It's an incredibly impressive performance, um, one of the better performances of the week. Um, and overall, I think uh, just a really good representation of a, of a very nice game for Montgomery. Again, you can have running back games that are pretty scheme dependent. Um, things are getting blocked up really well, and they're getting a ton of yardage based on what's blocked. And then, you know, what is what are they contributing to that in addition Two thirds of those yards, I think you can really directly attribute to David Montgomery. So to me, I again, I can go back and I can really dive into the numbers and try to see if there's another game that stands out. I thought it was his best game. This is only 15 carries. This isn't like a 20, like a huge 20, 25 carry volume day. This is only 15 carries. There's not a breakaway run where, you know, he got 80 yards on a touchdown. And so that like really uh, balloons the stats up. This is 122 yards on 15 carries. And again, two thirds of it is on him. 
I I love this performance. I am in love with what David Montgomery was doing on Sunday night. I think he deserves all the all the love in the world. The film review just made me love it even more. It's a tremendous performance by him, no doubt. Like this is all the things you mentioned and broke down so beautifully. This is a great pinnacle. This is one his agent will bring up whenever they go for a new contract, whether that's with Chicago or somebody else. And shout out to our good friend, Andrew Fitzpatrick says, G'day gents. Do you reckon Paul's mind is made up on re-signing Monty? If not to Sunday's performance, materially move the needle really rate his pass blocking too. Like his pass blocking is also amazing. We didn't rate that, but he is a tough son of a gun. Like Montgomery is a guy that will stick his nose in and has plenty of gravity in the pants behind that to make it stick as a running back protector of Justin Fields or whoever's playing quarterback for the bears. So an underrated aspect of his game. Great call Fitzy. I'm going to say something that's going to rile people up given that we just spent, you know, 30 plus minutes given David Montgomery <laughs> is roses. David Montgomery is a great. And I would almost say elite, like he is tickling elite status as a running back in the NFL. That means like top 11 or 12 in my mind, like he's right there. I don't think there's any way you can look at Sunday's performance and argue with that. He made most of that on his own and the bears shouldn't pay David Montgomery. (laughs) And it has nothing to do with David Montgomery. He is a great dude. He is a, an American success story. If you know anything about his, his backstory about how he came up before he got to Iowa state and before he got drafted by the bears, this is a hardworking committed football player. Who's gotten better every year and who is excellent, like really, really good. The bears still shouldn't pay him because you can get great off the street in running backs all the time. And people do every year you can get, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, UDFA running backs, fill a running back room and have a very competent, competitive running back room with those players. That is an unfortunate reality for David Montgomery is that there is a greater supply than there is demand. And that running game, your partner from Sunday, Ross Reed put out a great tweet today that said, regardless of how well you run the ball, you're not winning running the ball in the modern NFL. And he is a hundred percent correct. If you can't throw the ball in this league, you will lose. Monty is a good weapon in the passing game. He is not a great weapon in the passing game. And the passing game rules. It is the Tyrannosaurus Rex right now. Passing game is the thing you need. If you don't have it, you will lose, especially when you hit super weapons like Mahomes or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert. If you cannot throw the ball, I don't care how well Montgomery can run the ball because he will never keep up with them. He can't gain 80 yards at a stretch and they can. So love David Montgomery, the player love David Montgomery, the person love his performance on Sunday night. It was a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Still didn't make a hill of beans a difference to whether or not the bears won that game. They shouldn't resign him for a big money contract. If he will take lesser deal, not that he should like if somebody's willing to pay him money, that's great. But Sunday, I sat in Dallas in really good seats and watched Ezekiel Elliott basically drag the Cowboys down, right? Not because he didn't, not because he fumbled or did anything terrible. Ezekiel Elliott's making $18 million a year to get like three yards a carry. And that's awful. Like, cause they got Tony Pollard at less than half that who's making twice that every carry. And that's 
the snapshot for whether or not you should pay a running back. Like Zeke is not probably one of the best pass protectors in the game. We actually had a talk during the game about whether they should turn him into a fullback because we're like, he can catch in the flats. He's a really good blocker and he's an excellent pass protector. That's a fullback. But how many fullbacks do you know in the NFL that make $18 million a year? And the answer is zero. And nobody's ever going to make that because that's not the appreciation for the position. So love Montgomery, love what he did. Nah, they shouldn't pay him because they can get what he's giving them or 90% of that for probably 25% of what they'd have to pay. I'll say this. You can build team with your brain only. You can build a team with your heart only, or you can build your team with a combination thereof. Signing David Montgomery is a heart move, not a brain move. Yes. We know from the analytics and team building philosophy that you draft running backs, you, you chew them up, and then you just keep drafting them. And that that's generally what you do. And if you get a really good one um, late, you let them go. They sign somewhere else. You benefit from the comp package if you're not, you know, if you, you benefit from that formula that year. I don't think that there is a, it's not a huge mistake if you make some heart signings, but you can't have a whole team of hearts. No. that That's kind of what it comes down to. If he is heart and soul of your team, if he is someone that absolutely just makes that team go and clicks, and if you can afford him, particularly with fields on a rookie contract, there are ways to be able to fit a guy like that in. So I I won't criticize Ryan Poles if he finds a way to bring David Montgomery back because he believes he's central to this team and to the identity of what they are because he does bring a lot of intangibles to this team. Um, but it, it is the, the, he, he needs to present a preponderance of evidence to, for that to be true, right? That That's what needs to happen. I'm not going to count it out. I'm not a I'm not a stats only guy. I'm not a brain only guy. I I truly believe that the the heart part of building a team is really important. I believe it's important to the fan base. I think there's some fan service. I don't think that you take it as far as Jerry Jones does, but I think that there is. He's very successful at that. Um, there is a fan service component to this as well. If people love Demo, you know that that helps. So that I'll leave it there. I, I would love to revisit uh, Montgomery later this year. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, but let's let's take a quick break and then we'll flip it over and you can uh, you can play devil today and, and talk a little bit about. <laughs> All right, EJ, let's get into one Mr. Cole Komet. What do you have for us? On, yeah. On the tight end. Lots, unfortunately, uh, and almost none of it's good. So you got to play the fun role. I get to play the this is good cop and bad cop. I get to play the bad cop in this one. Uh, just to jump back to Jordan's comment. Um, thanks for putting comments in the chat, Jordan. Would I pay Montgomery eight to ten million AAV per year? Eight, maybe only if he satisfies the criteria that JB put up there that he's the heart and soul of the team. He's got to stay on injured. Running backs are traditionally very high injury rates um we've seen that with zeke as well so eight yes ten no because ten you can get three of him uh and that guards you against injury um if he's the heart and soul of his team and driving it forward eight for sure ten actually wouldn't because i think you can spend that money in in various other ways and get as much or more production uh either from alternate running backs or the wide receivers but 
to move on to Cole Komet. Uh, this is going to be the unfun part of the stream. So Cole Komet, let's begin at the beginning. Drafted second round out of Notre Dame. He was the first pick overall for the Bears that year. They didn't have a first round pick. Uh, 43 overall. For comparison, just to keep this in mind, again, just like the conversation we have with David Montgomery, what could you get at other places that might be similar values? Kate Otten drafted out of the University of Washington. He was the first pick of the fourth round. That's 106 overall, so 60-some picks later this year, and I think he's a superior player. Now, you can argue draft class to draft class, tight end was stronger, blah, blah, blah. Kate Otten's in Tampa Bay. He was the first pick in the fourth round at 106 overall. I think you're getting more out of him. Well, I don't think. I know they are getting more out of him as a rookie than the Bears are getting out of Komet now. So that's something to keep in mind about the tight end position because it is not a premier position. It is not outside corner. Uh, it is not pass rusher. It is not cornerback. It is not alpha wide receiver if you lump that into the premier positions. Very few tight ends in the National Football League really influence their team's chance to win. I would argue that Jason Kelsey is one that does that. Darren Waller Travis. when he's on his game. Yeah, Travis Kelsey. Sorry, I'm wrong, Kelsey. Um, there are very few. Uh, Mark Andrews occasionally, but really that has more to do with Baltimore scheme. Like there are a handful of guys. Um, you know, Kyle Pitts could be that guy, but Arthur Smith hasn't found that that groove yet. There are four or five guys. Um, tight end is not that position. So uh, this has to do with opportunity cost. And when Cole Komet was drafted, we talked about it. We basically said he would have to be excellent and really driving this offense to justify that pick. We think he'll be a, and the, the words I used were fine or solid, because I don't think Cole Komet is a bad football player. Fine or solid is what I said about Cole Komet. I thought he was drafted too high. I would have drafted somebody else. That's fine. Fine or solid. Ugh. Given this is a snapshot of the Green Bay game, he was not fine or solid. He was abysmal. This is going to be a fire show. And I actually kind of think Komet's average. He looked great in the preseason. In Green Bay, he didn't. He looked terrible. So if you really love Cole Komet, you should probably leave now. Uh, if you're family, you should definitely leave. This is going to be a slaughterhouse. It's a really, really ugly tape of a football player. Let me say before you before you dig, um, I, I went to camp. I was there for mm -hmm. three days. And then I interviewed a bunch of people that were at camp after me. And my own eyes said, Cole Komet's going to be the dude. He's going to be number two target this yep. year. Well, he's going to be right behind Mooney. And he looked good. Looked like he was in shape. Look, looks felt, you know, like it looked like he was going to make an impact preseason. Looked fine, right? I'm, I was all in. Like, I'm, 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 I'm chatting people that are doubting him saying, yeah, like you're wrong. Uh, hmm. He's going to be good. He's going to be fine. So this is me publicly saying, so far, I am very wrong. Very wrong. So that proceed with your digging. Yeah, many of us were in the same camp, and it's because preseason and the real season are different. And preseason, which is what we had to go on, he looked excellent. He definitely looked like the number two option in this offense. It looked like they were going to feature him and uh, sort of bring a tight end resurgence back to Chicago because tight end has a great history at the tight, or Chicago has a great history at the tight end position. They really do. 
They've got Hall of Fame players. They've got players that, you know, supported their Super Bowl run in 85 and 2006. Like tight end is a is a storied position in Chicago, and it's been really sort of devalued or or underappreciated of late. To get back to Cole Komet, he has everything you'd want in a tight end. He is 6'6", 260. That is excellent size for a tight end in the modern NFL. That is everything you want in terms of physical tools. He has 33-inch arms. He can go up and get it. Um, His relative athletic score was 8.92. That's okay. It's not terrible. It's pretty darn good, actually. The one piece of his RAS that worried me from his Notre Dame tape, worried me at his testing, and you know, has worried me ever since he got to Chicago is he had a 7.44 three second or a three cone drill. 7.44 seconds, not good for a three cone drill. It, it basically shows or showcases change of direction skills. Um, it's really sluggish for a player who has to move well in space. So it was concerning. And there are always guys that don't test great, but have good film. It kind of matched up with his film for comparison. Cody Whitehair, the starting guard for the bears ran a 7.32. Cody Whitehair is a much bigger player and was even in college than Cole Komet. And he was notably faster than Cole Komet at changing direction in this drill. Um, something that bothered me, not a death sentence. There are, there are plenty of tight ends and cornerbacks and everybody else that deal with low three cone skewers, but it was a sort of, huh? Okay. Does that back up what I see on film? And it did 2022 production so far. There's nothing to talk about. He's been targeted twice. He has zero catches. Ugh, that's horrendous. Um, what I reached out to Brad Spielberger for was uh, PFF's run blocking grade. They have him at a 66.1. That's their version of solid. Um, I hope he did a lot in the first game. I didn't watch him specifically in the first game because if their version of solid has anything to do with game two, uh, they're wrong. It's It's not solid. And his pass blocking is worse. So yikes 2022 so far looks looks bad yeah i i mean again you're trying to watch the entire run game but there was a couple points where you could tell that Komet either missed his assignment um or couldn't handle his assignment and so there were there were a few runs that i think could have been aided by that a lot of times you're running away from him or you know he has an inconsequential box but on the backside, you know he's trying to scrape down to a linebacker so it's not that big of a deal but uh, in general when there was point of attack issues yeah he didn't shine yeah let's let's talk about the lack of shine i i made a lot of notes here on a lot of plays and i'm not going to go into all of them because it's going to start to sound repetitive and like i'm beating a guy when he's down um there was worse here than we're going to talk about um which is not a great place to start uh as always i'm going to highlight the quarter and the actual game time mark because not everybody has access to all 22 so we'll start in quarter one 828 that's actually right about when the bears got the ball because packers possessed it for the first chunk of the game this is a straight block at the point of attack. Defender is directly in his path as a tight end. That means the guy that he's hitting is right in front of him. There's no movement component to this. It's go get that guy. Result, he can't wall him off. His man gets an arm out, basically trips up the running back, slowing him down for a tackle. That's a lost play. Like, that's a straight up, this was your guy. You couldn't even wall him off. Forget moving him off the ball, which very few true tight ends can do. But your guy made the tackle. Like you're responsible for that guy, and your guy made the tackle. That's a thumbs down. Um, 
651 in the first quarter. This is the first pass block rep, and many of you will remember this. This was the first big gain to Marte, uh, Marquez Valdez Scanley. Uh, or sorry, ESB. My yes. bad. Sorry. <laughs> wrong, wrong three letter acronym for a Green right, 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 right. Bay receiver. Uh, so what's Cole Komet's part in this play, which was a positive play for the Bears? And this is separating, um, you know, results from process, right? The results were, hey, big gain. Sweet. Good for the Bears, right? Well, if you go back and look at it, Komet was beaten quickly after initial contact. He gives up pressure and a QB hit. His guy is playing contain. He is on a defensive end. You can argue about the wisdom of blocking a defensive end one-on-one with a tight end. Happens all the time in the NFL. It's not an uncommon strategy. His guy's initially playing contain. He stands up to make sure that Justin's not going anywhere, that it's not a run play. Uh, but as soon as he decides, hey, that's not what's happening here. It's a pass play. I should rush. He's around Komet in a step and actually hits Justin as he releases that ball and flattens him. Komet was nothing more than a speed bump. It was ridiculous. Like he had a straight up guy standing in front of him, which is a rare gift as a pass blocker. Couldn't do anything with it. 524 in the first quarter. This is the first quality run blocking rep. It's a run to the right from the Packers 12. Uh, he fires off some power and collapses his DT as part of a double team. He's taking him on with the guard, uh, moves him a little bit and actually moves that DT into the linebackers lane, which is another plus making the linebacker sort of take an extra step to get to the outside. Uh, the linebacker does make the tackle, but this was a quality, you know, run blocking rep it took some help but again that's not uncommon that's a very common strategy duo blocks in the nfl are you know dime a dozen they happen throughout the game he did his part uh and a little bit more which is nice so we like that um but again not a solo effort 505 in the first quarter this is the field's rushing td I want to highlight Komet's role in this because it didn't look significant but it was actually really significant he gets just enough of a chuck on Rashawn Gary at the line to push him inside as Gary comes by him that Gary can't quite catch up to Justin Fields because he's fast. And it was close. He was half an arm away from Justin Fields, but he just couldn't get it. And it's because Komet got both hands into his chest and gave him a good solid shove inside. And that extra one or two steps, we say this all the time, it's a game of inches caused a big enough arc as Justin took off and Gary was in chase position that he basically just never caught up to him and the Bears score. So I'm I'm going to give Komet his roses on that one. He did his job. It's not an easy job to do. Rashawn Gary is an ascending player who very quickly could be in the mix for league defensive MVP. Uh, and he got him off enough that his very talented athletic quarterback was able to score. That's a plus play for him. Uh, 1423, quarter two, starting off quarter two, misses a block on the wide receiver screen, ends up on the ground. This is a theme, and it gets blown up. Not pretty. Like lunges at the guy coming by him, doesn't really make any contact, ends up on his face, and that guy just torpedoes the wide receiver who was catching the wide receiver screen. This is a flat out loss in multiple ways. Um, not gonna be a fun film room on that one for him. Um <laughs> part of this is his pass routes. We need to talk about his pass routes. In addition, we've been talking about his blocking a lot. His pass routes are mostly decoys at this point and gets these offense, which is the antithesis of the preseason where he was featured. Um, 
literally there, taking him, putting him on the end of the line, running him off when literally the play is like a sweep to the left. They'll run him off to the right. And their only hope is that he's kind of magnetic and might drag a defender out of the play. He's not engaging him physically. He's certainly not really a receiving threat, given that he's had you know, two targets, no catches. Uh, this is literally, hey, see if you can drag that guy a little bit farther away from this play we're running to the completely other side of the field. That's a red flag. That's not cool for your starting tight end. Um, not good stuff. Um, Q2, 430 left before halftime. This is his drop that was much ado about nothing. Uh, this is a simple square route. Justin puts it right on his body on time and he drops it. He literally puts it within his frame, hits him right here, and he just puts it on the ground. He was open. He had a guy coming, maybe heard footsteps, but the guy wasn't in contact. This was not a contested catch situation yet. It was a bang-bang play, but literally the ball hits him cleanly. He doesn't catch it. That's on him. There's nothing else. It's not you threw it too soon or it was a bad location or the ball was wet or anything else. You just flat-out drop that ball. One of the few opportunities he gets, and he really doesn't get any opportunities after this. We'll talk about why, but, um, you know, certainly not a confidence-building play. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, next one I want to talk about is all the way in Q3. So that's the first half, like a bunch of missed blocks, one decent block, um, one hey, he got in the way on a double block. So he's like maybe two plays out of the entire first half where he did decently and a bunch where he did lousy. Not great. No, just just not great overall. So keep trying to get back to, okay, I'm thinking in my head as I'm watching the all 22 so I don't just flat suffer hey, what would I do with this guy as an offensive coordinator? Like, how would I highlight him? What does he do right. well? Like, where could I leverage him? Where could I make this a threat? So far, seeing very few things, because even the routes he run, he ran as decoys, like not a lot of snap off the line, not great burst, um, extra what we call wasted steps off the line, which allow defenders to sort of match and, and not be pressed right off the line. Um Nothing from the first half that really sticks out and like, oh man, they missed him. He was so open on this or geez, he was blowing that guy up. Why don't we run that again? No, there's, there's none of that in the first half, which is gross. So uh, getting into Q3, um, there's a play that worked and I want to talk about it because it didn't really work because of commit, but this is one of those rabbit holes you go into and say, well, he was open. What happened here? He was open because of scheme. Uh, this is at 1433. So really starting right off in the third, in the third quarter, he's super late off the snap, but that's on design. He is literally supposed to slot in behind the wide receiver. The wide receiver is going to go up and just kind of stall as a sort of active pick. Cole Komet's going to break off for about a 10, 12 yard out. And he is open on that play. Like the play design works. So why EJ, why didn't he receive this ball? Because Larry Borum got absolutely bulldozed. He got pushed directly back into Justin Fields within about two, 2.2 seconds. Uh, his defender was in, you know, he and his defender were in Justin's lap and it becomes a sack and, you know, Komet was open. 
Was it because he ran a great route? It wasn't. It was purely because of scheme, but it was open. Gets he schemed an open catch? If Justin is up and able to see at that point, I have every confidence that he hits him. It happens to be a first down. Would have converted a first down. Like, that's all good, but this is where football's layers support each other, and Borum got bulldozed, so the whole thing's a miss. Bummer. Um, Q3, I, I want to talk about what is a frustrating run play uh and this is something Komet did twice in this tape that really bothered me so this is 9 13 of game time it's a run play away from his side of the formation he sort of wanders out looking for someone to block and then literally turns around like he doesn't just pivot to the outside he literally turns like back to the inside and around and finds a guy on the end of the line. Like it is the least likely defender to influence the play. And it just reeks of, man, I'm going to have to look at this in film. I better put my hands on somebody. <laughs> and so he turns around and he puts his hands on this guy, which again is adding nothing. The play is again away from his the, side. The play away. is designed to leave that guy alone. Right. That guy is a, this guy has no shot at making the play. Right. Keep, that in mind <laughs> so he turns the wrong way he blocks this guy that has nothing to do with the outcome of the play looks to be a useless back block on the player for this from the ball but he gives up the play continues and that guy the useless one runs all the way across the field and makes the tackle on montgomery <laughs> So the moral of the story is if you're going to make a decision and make a useless block, at least actually make the block. The moral of the story is show this play to tight ends and say, don't do any of that ever. Like right. that's all bad. Like right. get into the flow of the play, make your pivot, look for an eligible guy that might actually influence and then finish your block. Do all three of those things. He did zero of those things. So it's just like a huh. And it's the second time I saw him do this little go out and pirouette move and then pick off a guy that is the furthest away from the play. So it looks like he's doing something, but he's really not just wildly frustrated. This brings me to a point where I want to talk about Komet's blocking because we've talked about it a lot so far. And what we hear is, well, he's not a great receiver because people look at his receiving stats and say, oh God, he's killing me in fantasy. Like, <laughs> but he's a good blocker. And I hear this all the time. Well, he's, he's not this, but he's a good blocker. And what they look at is 6'6", 260, and they say, he's a good blocker. It's not true. He's not a good blocker. So let's do the same thing we do with offensive linemen and say, let's look at his blocking. Now, there's, I would say, three components to an offensive lineman's blocking, maybe more if they're a tackle. But as, a, as like a guard, I would say there's three components. There's blocking in tight spaces, which, again, is guys in front of you, can you lock onto him, defeat him, move him, do what you need to do in the play? So blocking in tight spaces, this is power, inside zone, stuff like that. He's average at those blocks. It works sometimes. Sometimes he is able to complete that block. If there's a block he completes, it's probably that. Run blocking in open space. This is wide zone, toss, all that stuff. He's not good. The outside screen, we talked about this. He's often missing his target, and he he ends up on the ground a whole lot more. If he was an offensive lineman, his coach would have his ass for the amount of time he spends in the grass. Like, it's not good. He is not an agile guy, and that's what those blocks require is agility and ability to move in space and hit a moving target. He's awful at that. He's no good. 
rarely survives past first contact. He might get his hands on somebody and push, but after that, there is no sustained continuation, nothing. He is a zero. Pass blocking, not good. Easily and quickly overcome on the way to the quarterback, giving them minimal time to survey the field or move. He gets one push. He usually leans too far out over his skis, and he is done. He gets discarded, whether it's on his face or just chucked out of the way, and his guy makes the tackle. So when people say Cole Komet is a good blocker, he's really not. The one block he made consistently in this game, he made it twice. He's the lead blocker on QB keeper for fields, and he absolutely buried his guy both times. Like that's a one block he can make where he basically comes back across the formation fields is taking it going the same direction. And it's like, okay, get that guy, get that one guy. And he gets him basically in the backfield and buries him. Like that's it. That's all he is. That's extremely limited as a football player. That is not an asset to your football team. So, um, Q4 1310. This is the, this is the big Montgomery run gets to Devondre Campbell. He gets spun around. He holds him, and then he yanks him off of David Montgomery. He does both. He literally gets spun around. He grabs him. Devondre Campbell is grabbing the backside of David Montgomery on this huge 20-yard run, and he pulls him off the back. This is the bummer about that great run. That should have been flagged six ways from Sunday. If it's not the hold, it's dragging him down afterwards to make sure he doesn't make the tackle. Um, Devondre Campbell, great player. Komet did enough. Nobody saw it. It didn't get flagged. Montgomery picks up a big gain. Bears fans can can wave their pom poms. But if you go back and look at this one, it's it's ugly process. Good result. It's it's not a plus play in any way for Komet. Um, Q four. Let's get into it. Sets the edge for the long Herbert run. Uh, this is the one place he's occasionally good. He gets it done here with help from Kari Blassing game. Like at this point, the coaching staff is literally saying. We're going to need a duo block on the edge guy. Our tight end's not enough. And he combines with blasting game and gets enough. Herbert cuts in behind him. Really good game. Um, that was a plus. Uh, 11-20 left in the fourth quarter. Gets absolutely tossed as a run blocker. Completely ineffective. His guy makes the tackle easily unopposed because he literally grabbed his chest plate and went, hoof, and was just standing there for, I can't remember if it was Montgomery or Herbert, but he was he was there to just drop him. Not good stuff. Uh, Q4, 1104. Um, even with a double, he's part of a double team again. His guy comes off and makes the tackle. That's horrendous. You basically commit two blockers to a single guy and he still makes the play. And we're not talking about Aaron Donald here or Kenny Clark for that matter. Um, that's bad. That's we gave you help and you still gave it up. It's like giving a tackle chip help and they still give up a sack. It's it's really a huge hole to try and dig your offense out of. Um, last one I'll highlight Q4, uh, 823. Uh, this was the field's uncalled sneak TD that they went back and forth and said, yes, he scored. No, he didn't score. This is Komet's fault. <laughs> like pure and simple. You can talk about the shotgun run or whatever else. If you look at the replay of this play, Komet gets overwhelmed at the point of attack. He slides into his guy and he basically gets bowed up. Like he gets his head bent back, his shoulders come back and he twists, and his guy is the first guy that contacts Justin and then literally locks his arms around Justin's waist and pulls him backwards. Komet gets a half-decent block here. Justin scores cleanly. The replay shows it. Bears in a very different position. This one's on Cole. 
Like that was his guy. That's the way they ran. He did nothing. He got overwhelmed and his guy made the tackle and pulled him out of the end zone. Like zeros, zeros, zeros. If this sounds like an absolute flamethrower job, it is. This is a player we're talking about overall income, overall outcome or impact. Extremely limited. I wrote easily replaced by a player off the street. And that is a tough call for a guy drafted in the second round. It is why the Bears have stacked up tight ends off the street. They have UDFAs. They have guys they've grabbed off the heap. Like, And those guys are actually more effective in the play and certainly in the running game right now and in Ryan Griffin's case, the passing game. They don't have any weapons at tight end, but they have guys that are better than Cole Komet that they literally scraped off the scrap heap. If I was the Bears, and this is a wildly hot take, if I was Ryan Poles, I would put Cole Komet on the practice squad this week. And I would hope that he got claimed because somebody else would be on the hook for his contract. And people are going to roast me for that take. People are going to say, that's insane. Based on his pedigree, it is. Based on what he's doing to the Bears' offense on the field right now, that's a level-headed take. He is a negative. The biggest runs that Montgomery had on the field this week, Cole Komet was not on the field, with the exception of the 26-yarder. He was not even on the field. Other players blocked up those big runs for Herbert and Montgomery. So this is a, oh, we have a problem, Houston. Like, he is not a competent football player right now. And I figured, I again, said solid. I said he's going to be fine. He is not solid or fine. He is a raging negative right now. He is, everything that goes to his side is getting blown up. Everything that goes away from him, all he's doing is decoying. He's adding nothing in the passing game as a receiver. Like he is a zero. He is a negative right now. Yeah. Yikes. That's the, uh, that's, that's the gif, right? Yikes. Yikes. It, so, I wanted to be positive about this. Yeah. Every turn there was something that he missed. Didn't do, could have done better. Like it was just rugged film to watch. I don't know how he survived the film session this week because it couldn't have been kind. Is there any hope? <laughs> Is there any other explanation of new scheme? Wasn't asked to do this and, you know, it's going to take some time, but he's got the physical tools to be able to get there. Or is this like, if it hasn't happened by now, this guy is not going to be part of this team in the future. This is really interesting because, again, this is a guy with a great frame, and we have seen him be featured in the passing game in the preseason, which is vanilla defenses and all that. But it feels like there should be, and I know should is a power word saying, you know, you should. feels like there should be a way to feature this guy. But, again, throughout the game, I'm looking for how is that going to be? He can't win one-on-one blocks. He almost can't win two-on-one blocks as part of a duo. He does occasionally. Um, he turns the wrong way. He doesn't catch the ball when you hit him in the numbers. Um, the routes he's open on are not because he puts some great shimmy together or because he has a lot of quickness. He he really does look sluggish running his routes. It's because they schemed him open, and it's like it's kind of like all those throws you put together for a quarterback to quote unquote get them in the rhythm. You're never going to win a football game with a get the quarterback in rhythm throws. At some point, he has to be in rhythm and and complete the pass. 
And it doesn't feel right now like Cole Komet can complete the pass for any of the, what I would call regular responsibilities of a tight end. And you think about, well, there've been tight end converts who've been converted to tackle or tackle eligible or like whatever. Could you do that with him even? And I'm not sure, like he's not a good enough blocker right now. Certainly not a good enough pass blocker. So I'm, I don't know. It's really like I'm thinking, okay, I'm the OC. What do I do with this guy? He is what he is right now on the field. What do I do with this guy? And my answer is sit him. Like he's an inactive for me. I want guys because the other thing is guys that got a lot less snaps that are on the Bears roster uh, at tight end did more with them. And they had very limited chances, but they provided better blocking reps. Um, they provided, in the case of Ryan Griffin, better receiving reps. But even Tevon Wesco, who most people are like, who's Tevon Wesco, right? He was a claim off roster cuts from the Jets. His blocking looks way more inspired and effective than Cole Komet. Nobody's going to clamber over the rights of Tevon Wesco. But right now on the field for the Bears, he's better than Komet in the same role. Yeah, I feel that way about Jesse James a lot last year, right? Like he he was a guy that you just he's just a tight end guy that been around. You sign him, and his reps always looked much better last year. Um, you're just always more impressed with what he could bring to the to the passing game specifically. But you know, a guy that's been around that long, there's a lot of guys like that. A lot of guys, you know, Brian Griffin is a guy like that, right? He's yep. around. You sign him for at or near league minimum, and you know they can kind of give you what that is. And it kind of sounds like Cole is struggling to even give you what that is right now. And that's worrisome because he needs to not only be the replacement level veteran, he needs to be much more than that, given um, the commitment that the Bears are making in terms of even a salary for a second rounder. So that's a tough one. Um, I want to, we went long and I, you kind of get why when you, I, I know I went way long and I'm, I'm the, I'm the guilty party this week. Uh, EJ went pretty long last week. So I think that what we should do is kind of get out of here. We'll stick around for the YouTube guys and, and answer some questions and maybe go a little long there. Um, so if you, if you want to join us for that, we're going to try, I think this time generally throughout the year, unless, you know, EJ and I have a schedule conflict for that, but eight o'clock central time on Wednesdays feels pretty good kind of gives us enough time to play with the all 22 um we will do our best to do things like this to to try to break it down you know specifically and, and get all that out but that's 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 the plan right now so we'll we'll get out of here um for the podcast quick recap on the booze because it's not quite just beer tonight we've got some bourbons um, I had to refill when you started talking about cold uh, <laughs> I've got, I've so got. I, I got I got number two going I I really um, I think this is a really solid bottle. I, I don't, it's not a circle of trust bottle. I have this whole thing where I'm trying to find these like bourbons that I can reasonably find that are within not a crazy price range uh, that I, I just love to pour in a glass and drink by itself. I don't think this quite rises to that level, but it's a very good solid bourbon. I want to go back and visit, revisit uh, the Four Roses single barrel um, that I had that a while ago. I haven't had that in, you know, probably six, seven, eight years. I'd like to revisit that. This small batch select is nice, but it's maybe not quite to that like elite level, but I think it's good for a lot of people and it's definitely a good value. So if that's kind of what you're looking for, um, I would, I would go check them out and you can find that pretty much everywhere. I will, I will ensure that when you, uh, when you visit the next time that I have a bottle of that ghost owl around, because I, I think you'll, 
you'll like it as a sipper. We'll see. I had a question for you because uh, turns out uh, with this random and crazy job I'm in that Monday morning at 10 a.m. I was in a liquor store in Dallas. Uh, yeah, don't ask why. Uh, yes, they looked at us like that. <laughs> you know, five minutes after they open, we walk in like, have you had the whistle pig piggyback? Is that just the six year? Or is that... I don't know. I hadn't seen it before. Hang on. Uh, it is American rye, as all whistle pigs are. Uh, I had no idea it was Vermont made. That's crazy with fresh yep. cinnamon and ground black pepper, subtle citrus, grapefruit zest. Uh, there you go. Uh, that's all I know about it. So anyways, 100% rye, pretty aged six years. Yes. Yep. So yes, I've had, yep. That's the six year. Okay. Yeah, I've had a couple of whistle picks. They're um they're pretty good. They have a, a little bit of a I want I want to call it kind of like a dirty rye. A little taste. bit. Yep. A little bit. No, I've had the basics, but I hadn't had the piggyback. So I figured I would reach out and sure enough, you've had it. Uh my Kilburn Sherry cask, very solid as an Irish, has a little bit more warmth, a little bit more sweetness, not quite the straight tang that you would associate with Irish because of that sherry cask finish. I like it over ice, it goes great. Um, and the Elliott Bay Pilsner is great to sort of clean that off your tongue and, and sort of get you ready for whatever's next because it's a good, solid, clean Pilsner. It's well-built, um, not super high in alcohol. So, uh, like that as well. Well, coming up for me, um, make sure you're checking out the 10 minute drill. Robert and I are having a lot of fun recording that and, uh, you know, he's producing and he's putting in a lot more work than I am on that particular product, but we're having fun putting that one together. And then Sunday mornings, 10 o'clock, we're going to be live streaming. I've got Ross Reed coming in doing uh, picks and props with me. And then Eric Smith is going to uh, take over uh, uh, for Ross for the rest of the show. And we go through daily fantasy. We do our Survivor League picks and then uh, we do general fantasy advice. So if you have uh, start sit questions, you have trade questions, stuff like that, bring them. We'll talk about them. We care about your fantasy team. It's been a really good stream so far. <laughs> Ross and I have we're positive on the money. So like so if if you want to make money so far, if you're betting with Ross and I, you are making money. So I would, you know, encourage you to check us out. We're having fun on Sunday mornings at 10, helping you get your final bets in. Um, what about you? What do you got going on? Well, I got you listeners, you and Ross. I like that. Yeah, I uh, went to get my haircut before I went to Dallas and my barber was like, Hey man, do you do you ever talk about like who might win the games? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. And he's like, you ever do any fantasy stuff? And I was like, you should listen to JB's show. So I gave him you and Ross's link. And uh, I have a feeling he's tuning in because awesome. uh, likes like to watch the league and, and likes to put a little action on it. And if he's been listening to you, he's plus money. So he'll be happy the next time I go in and I'll get a good haircut. I like that. Um, uh, up next for me is Thursday Night Football live stream for Bootleg. We're doing that every Thursday night. Uh, it's on the Bootleg Football youtube channel uh brett and i coming on about 30 minutes before the game starts talking about our lineups uh placing our slips with prize picks our primary sponsor for this year so thanks to them also place a halftime slip with them because they do halftime slips as well so a chance to uh right your wrongs as things go or don't go during the game there was certainly some of that going on last thursday and then bootleg football podcast will be coming out on Tuesdays. I swear. I know it came out today. There's a bunch of hangups about getting content approved, but we won't be traveling next week. So we will be getting that thing out Tuesday morning, every week throughout the rest of the year so that you have your full recap of the week 
um, on Tuesday morning to consume. And that's that's the big ones for me. Those are the big rocks. And then, of course, Beers with, Beers with You, recording Wednesday night, coming out on Thursdays. Um, pretty full slate of football content this year. Good stuff. Really appreciate everybody for joining us and sticking with us. And, uh, and hopefully we'll get better results against the Texans here this week and have a little bit more fun next week. But until then, bear down. Bye.